Yeah, my, so one of my good friends from BU, she worked for Wayfair, now she works for Amazon. She has like all like the operations of warehouses. That's crazy. Like their, <laughs> their, their operations and logistics, like I can't even wrap my head around it. Like how they got me, how they get me like my shower loofah in 18 hours from the time <laughs> I ordered it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Without a Roadmap. This is the podcast for product folks who get the job done, but are still figuring it out. My name is Jonas Dinkno. I'm joined here by my co-host, Cameron the Magnificent. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> I feel like last time you had a little bit more oomph to that that intro yeah. before my name, but it's, it's all good, though. Run it back. It, run it back. Nah, I was going to keep going with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. I think today we wanted to go a little deeper into kind of prioritizing and the whole road mapping space that as PMs, we're always constantly talking about the roadmap, what to work on next, juggling different priorities. So I think last time we, we briefly touched about some frameworks. I think this time we should go a little bit deeper in it into how we do it at Parlor and some of the, the balance and act that we try to we try to do here at Parlor as well. Um, started off, we're... We're going into the next phase when we focus on the next pillar of Parler's feedback management system, which is prioritize and validate, which is, as you may expect, getting into some roadmap features. Uh, <laughs> so you may think, why is a feedback company starting to dip their toes into um, some roadmap things? And I think primarily because, yeah, it's like a, a natural segue for us because now we have all this feedback. We have it collected. We organize it in a way that it's centered around your user needs or new features. And so naturally the next step is you have this feedback organized in a way into user needs. Like what do you do with those organized things? And I think the natural thing is to prioritize them. So you know what you need to work on next based on how many people it's impacting and how much of an impact it'll have on your overall business, either with current accounts or potential customers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about this feature. I feel like, I mean, a lot of people go to the market thinking about, you know, user feedback management, but I think more people go into the market and when I say people, I mean like product folks looking for these like individual point solutions. And one of those that to me sounds like, um, you know, one of the more prominent ones is some sort of road mapping tool that every company at some stage will get to a point where, you know, uh, like notion docs or, you know, just keeping track in a Google doc isn't going to suffice for keeping track. PowerPoint. Of, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's exciting because it is kind of one of those things that more naturally seems to, seems to have, um, you know, populations of product people, um, you know, who are in search of features for this. So uh, diving into this is definitely something that, you know, we're excited about working on for, you know, growth reasons, but it's actually interesting. Uh, speaking of prioritize and validate, you know, we, we actually had previously deprioritized working on the prioritize and validate uh, pillar for Parler for a number of different reasons and kind of resurfaced it uh, and I think just the, the kind of steps or the stage at which we are at now that um, kind of is leading us to this point is uh, kind of interesting and you know, potential case study for us to, to look into, dive into how different product teams approach um, kind of shifting priorities on their roadmaps uh, in order to kind of fit the, 
either their growth stage, you know, where the market sits uh, at, at any particular moment and, you know, different, uh, you know, other kind of environmental shocks like a pandemic, you know, how those sorts of things might also impact your, your roadmap and, you know, could have a profound impact on your business. And I think for, for folks who are interested in just kind of following our journey and parlor's journey, uh, kind of give you a, a look inside, you know, how that process is made and maybe learn a few things that you can apply at your job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the cool thing is like we're building a feature that we're going to use internally at Parler for ourselves. But also you have to be careful of that because you don't want to build things that are just that just fit your use case or your company. Because as we found out, every company does product differently. And I'm sure every company manages or prioritizes their roadmap a lot differently. Like I recently was on a call just doing a user interview and they had a different framework where um, it's like a six to nine month rolling roadmap where um, they have like defined things that they know they're going to release within zero to three months. So within a quarter and then three to six months, they're more so testing designs and to testing the next phase of functionality that they want to get to. And then six to nine months, it's more of us like a, they're committing to addressing a problem statement. So they know that there's something out there in the market or something big that either one customer of their highest account or multiple customers are requesting that they know they need to solve. So they're just going to commit to that problem statement, but they don't know exactly how they're going to solve for that. So they're just going to do some like discovery process stuff. So I just thought it was pretty interesting because like at our stage, this is more, this is a more mature company at our stage. We probably can't do that. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we gotta be real nimble. We gotta, we gotta be able to kind of maneuver different situations uh, very quickly. And I think, that, you know, one of the benefits of being on a small product team is that, you know, there are fewer moving parts. So you can kind of make those shifts uh, and kind of accommodate them rather easy, uh, easily. But, you know, there are obviously the downsides of not being able to move as quickly with respect to like actually like kind of architecting things to plan for the future. So there are those trade-offs. But, um, you know, I think Part of being a startup is, you know, being flexible and kind of moving through, uh, you know, adjusting your roadmap accordingly. And I think one of the things we do that's pretty smart uh, is uh, by using that three horizon approach uh, as opposed right. to, you know, focusing really deeply on uh, individual sprints or having a super solidified roadmap. And, you know, for those who aren't familiar, I actually don't know how um, you know, relevant the three horizon framework is kind of, you know, for publicly, we talk about it internally as if it's like, you know, the only way, but uh, you know, so what the three horizon framework is essentially um, looking at product development from a, from a kind of a longer term lens. So I think our, you know, horizon one is like six to 12 months. Horizon two is like one to two years. And then horizon three is, you know, like, you know, two plus years and beyond and uh, kind of focusing on hitting particular, you know, product milestones within those horizons as a way to kind of, you know, first obtaining product market fit, eventually horizon two, ideally you're in growth stage. And then, you know, horizon three is kind of growth stage and beyond. So uh, with the horizon framework, we're not really held down to these, uh, you know, really strict guidelines or deadlines for particular fun functionality, but more so, uh, you know, having the flexibility to, to kind of 
weave in and out, um, you know, different things that are relevant to us in the moment, whether it's for growth or product related, um, you know, milestones, as long as we're, you know, constantly working towards those higher level product vision, visionary goals that we have. And I think we've been doing that pretty well. Whereas, but, you know, our, our day-to-day month-to-month, you know, roadmap is, is definitely much more uh, dynamic. Ever-changing. Yeah, I think as a pretty good segue into just talking about like our balancing act of like as a young as an early stage startup you obviously want to create features that make a lot of noise that are super relevant to the market and that bring a lot of eyes to our product so that we get more customers obviously but at the same time there's also like tech debt and like I would say like expectation debt that we accumulate by depriorizing some stuff that we know we need to get done but it's not going to help us close deals it's not going to help us bring more eyes to our product. Like it's not, it's not a big flashy feature. So maybe taking the rest of the time just to talk through how we do that, how we determine which one to prioritize, which one to prioritize at the given time. And then some of like the consequences that come with prioritizing flashy features over some of the more things that you know, you need to get done, whether it's just general product enhancements to the core product or it's um, fixing tech debt or it's whatever it may be. Yeah, and I'm curious, like in your perspective, uh, what are different situations that might force you to, you know, deprioritize a flashy feature over, you know, tech debt or something kind of related to foundational product development required for longer term goals? Yes, something I've been kind of thinking about the last couple of weeks. I think the way I would go about that is how do I say this? It's more so like, we, like we're always trying to go as fast as possible, right? Push as much product out that's of high quality and as little amount of time. And sometimes in order to do that, you have to slow down a little bit to ramp up the backend infrastructure of your product in order to support you going faster than long-term. So like one thing that I don't have much experience on, but I had like maybe a couple of months before I left my old company, it was um, automated testing. So that's doing regression tests. So that's every time you make a new feature, you automate the testing of everything in your platform that already exists to make sure that what you're just about to release isn't going to break anything. So like we've had this experience sometimes where we release a new feature, we're all excited, and then we go in there to test it out in production or Keith does a demo or one of our customers find a bug that wasn't even remotely what we thought close or associated with the new feature, but it got affected because something new was pushed out and somehow in the back end it got touched and now there's things breaking in our dashboard in our product that we have to quickly adjust and us having to stop work on the next phase of features in order to put out that quick fire that even may take a day or could take two weeks that eventually slows us down and prohibits us from moving faster because we're having to constantly go back and fix stuff that shouldn't have been broken in the first place. Right. So investing engineering resources to building these regression tests does kind of in the long term save you a lot of time and hassle. But, you know, you kind of it's hard to you know, hard, yeah. hard, to, hard to think of it like that when you're spending, you know, a week building out tests for something that customers will never see. Yeah, exactly. You can't sell your automated testing. Like maybe you can say, oh, we're so reliable. We're 99.9%. That's what you're selling. Yeah, yeah that's pretty selling much what you're selling. Yeah. A bug-free product. <laughs> yeah. But then at the same time, like if you're on some of these calls, like discovery calls, sales calls, or like your current customers really want this feature, but 
all your engineers are tied up doing tests, like, what do you do? Say, so, hey, sorry, we're actually trying we're to do building. tests. Yeah, so we're not building new features right now. But <laughs> at the yeah. same time, in the future, like, once you take the time to actually commit to building out your test suite, whether it takes a week, two weeks, three weeks, it's going to pay off in the long run because you don't, you never have to go back and spend those three weeks to do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on, on the flip side, you know, there's obviously that, that long-term foundational work that uh, you need to, you need to prioritize, you know, to, to reach those long-term product goals. But, you know, let's say we just got off the call with some super sexy company that we would love the logo for, uh, and, uh, you know, they want something that, you know, wasn't, on, isn't on our roadmap for, you know, another quarter. Um, but in order to close them, it would require that, you know, we have this feature in question. So, uh, in a lot of cases, especially for early stage companies, um, who, you know, were, you know, just as important as, you know, product development is, is logo velocity and showing that you're signing up these accounts and in particular important accounts and, you know, obviously high paying accounts, uh, mm -hmm. you do have to shift some priorities around that, that might impact your, your longer term goals, but, you know, help you short, uh, close short term revenue. And um, that has probably impacted our roadmap the most. And uh, <laughs> at, at maybe, maybe not as much, uh, you know, more, more recently. Uh, I think yeah, we've, I agree. We've, we've definitely improved or I guess we've just kind of changed our mentality from focusing on short term revenue and kind of providing these, you know, you know, custom features for individual customers to thinking more about the long term vision and kind of investing in that growth. Um, but I do know if there was you know, a time where we were ready to drop just about everything and, and you know, build out a, a specific integration. Oh God, Snowflake. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. right. But, but I also think um, it's like, I think more so we're doing this less frequently is because we're kind of like on our way to approaching product market fit. So like we know exactly, like we have a clear vision of what we need to build in order to get there. And then if we don't have it, like luckily we sell to most, we sell primarily to product teams and also customer success teams and dealing with PMs they're I feel like they're more understanding into the process behind developing new features. Like, all right, so we don't have this. So they know they have a rough idea of how long it's going to take for us to actually spec it out, design it, go through design review, hand it off to engineering, test it, and then get it deployed. Like they have a pretty good understanding of all that stuff. So I feel like they're more willing to partner with you and be involved in that process of building out new features and functionality that's going to directly benefit them because as a product person, you always love building new stuff. And then there's no better, I feel like there's no better feeling to help build something that you have no kind of, like you're not held against how it actually performs. That makes sense. Right. Like right. you don't have to go in the weeds about little details and like do compromise and say, Hey, I want this. And then you just help them by just reviewing some designs. <laughs> like it's the best part. It is ideal. It is. It's great. Good and bad working with, uh, you know, selling the product people because they yeah. can also see through all of your BS. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on the, on the, on the flip side, you know, companies, let's like, you know, B2C companies, uh, you know, software products like Twitter, you know, their user base has been begging for, you know, an edit tweet feature and they don't understand why Twitter hasn't built that. And it's like, of course, Twitter could build an edit tweet feature if they wanted to, but they clearly have 
uh, you know, reasons for not doing so, you know, maybe it doesn't, you know, fall within their, their, you know, guidelines or, you know, the ways that they want the product to be used. But the average Twitter user doesn't know that. They're like, damn, if she, <laughs> this is a big miss. How do you not have this feature? So, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, I even think just to get away from this, some of the balance of between high flashy features and, just like stuff you need to get done. Like it's not always about just like testing and back end infrastructure stuff. Sometimes it's things you know is a gap in your product or you know is a bug that hasn't been found or it's hard to get found. And it's like the balance and act or of ignoring that for now and waiting to address it later or developing that new highly marketable feature. I feel like it's mm-hmm. the balance of developing the the flashy thing versus being proactive in problem and preventing problems as opposed to waiting down line and then solving those problems in front of your customers. Cause like solving problems in front of your customers, like, Oh, Hey, thanks. Like you saved it. You solved the problem. Like you fixed the bug. Like, thank you. Thank you. You all this gratitude. Like it's very visible, all that stuff. Whereas when you're preventing problems, like it's invisible because your customer never actually saw that was a gap or that was a bug in your, in your, in your product invisible until they see it in which case you know it, it immediately gets escalated and you know exactly but if you're yeah. proactive about solving those problems and preventing those problems they never see it and you never really get that that gratitude you never get like that uh what's that chemical in the brain uh, dopamine dopamine <laughs> yeah you never get that dopamine for uh <laughs> for yeah. fixing something getting the thank you <laughs> Those, those thank yous do make me feel real good when you, you fix a <laughs> customer issue. That is great. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, you know, like where, like how different companies approach uh, making like quality of life improvements to their products um, as opposed to like, you know, investing in these new features and functionality that, you know, might particular might bring in a new, you know, audience or uh, expand the, mm-hmm. you know, value proposition of your, of your product. Um, you know, I think we're at a stage where um, either one is super important because we're coming up on, you know, our users who, you know, just about all of them have one year subscriptions, the kind of first big batch of folks mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, who are ready to potentially renew are coming around. So those quality of life improvements might reduce churn and, you know, and, you know, get them to stick right. around. But at the same time, uh, you know, we're also coming up on the end of the year and closing all these new deals is equally important. So mm-hmm. like where, like what, what kind of, what's the, like, the, is, is there a secret formula to, to kind of balancing these two priorities? <laughs> I wouldn't be the one to, to tell a secret formula, but <laughs> I, I have been thinking about this um, like the last like month or so, just by like reading like, other people's like uh, announcements of new feature updates and all that stuff. And like, the way I was thinking about it is like balance the, to balance between new flashy features and just either general enhancements to the core product or just other quality of life improvements is trying to combine those two in the same release. And so, if you have multiple engineers, you're fortunate to have multiple engineers or multiple different like teams or pods of engineers. Um, maybe like, what I w- would ideally want to get to at Parler is like splitting those down the line or not down the line, but like assigning different things to different pods of engineers. So then, all right, we have like three to four working on 
um, our new project validate, right? Then we have another three to four working on some general enhancements to the core product. And then we have like another three to four working on something else. So this way, like we're all like we're hitting on multiple different things at the same time. And so like one release, um, if we have automated testing, so we're not having to just focus on releasing one thing at a time, like one release can encompass like prioritize and validate. It can encompass updates to the widget. It can encompass new integrations that feed to everything in our product. So like we're making progress across multiple different areas of our product, multiple different pillars. And so we're bringing new eyes to our product with a new release of the flashy feature. We're enhancing the experience to our existing customers because either they are going to greatly see value in like the general quality of life improvements. And then with the integrations, we're getting more eyes on our product as well because we're going to be in those marketplaces for the third-party products. Mm, yeah. So best case scenario, you're able to, you know, build your engineering team in a way where they can kind of work in parallel uh, exactly. across those, those two realms. Uh, and I think we're actually kind of close to that. I, yeah, you know, we're getting I, there. You know, we've got Project Bulletproof, which is, you know, our code name for, uh, you know, quality of life improvements throughout <laughs> the project. And, you know, we have a couple engineers who are like consistently working across, you know, on projects that uh, improve those, you know, specific areas. And then we have uh, a pod that's focused on, you know, the new pillars of work that we're working on. So I think we're, we're our, as, you know, as our team grows, we're able to, you know, actually manage that. That was the issue prior is that it's just me and you as product managers. <laughs> we got, we have a project manager now, which is, yeah, you know, super making helpful. it a lot easier. Oh my God. Yeah. That those updates every day <laughs> of the status. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> but, but yeah, like I, I would say, like even when you have different pods, like depending on how big the new feature is or depending on if you're doing like a redesign of a core product feature you currently have just could just to make it better and like you just need to just wipe the slate clean to start over, start from scratch. You can shift around your engineering team to accommodate things that require more engineers or more people to, to work on. So mm -hmm. say you have a couple quality of life fixes that one person can probably all do in one week. All right, cool. We can take some people from that team put them on a new flashy feature. Hopefully we can get that done in the same amount of time so that our release encompasses a whole bunch of stuff. So it's like a big, big shiny moment that everybody can be happy part of. Cause you don't want to, I think ideally you don't want to release things that only cater to like one segment of your user population and ignore the rest because everyone now has, has different tiers of access to their product. Yeah, And so yeah. if you're just only focusing on like your highest tier, the people in the middle that you could potentially upsell, um, or that might turn because you're just ignoring them. They're not going to benefit from the features that are locked behind a, a paywall, a paywall, a, right. yeah, a paywall, paygate. Mm -hmm. And and back to the idea, like how these things differ depending on the kind of growth stage of your company. Um, like one of the main um, you know goals of a like really early product is is you know obviously uh, achieving like a minimum viable segment. So um, not quite you know, minimum viable you know, product and not quite product market fit, but like what is the um, minimum viable group of users that you can provide a, you know, feature or product for, um, you know, that solves their pain points in a way that, you know, is, you know, interesting enough for them to, you know, be an active, engaged user. Right. And, you know, so in those cases, you're going to have to oftentimes like prioritize 
you know, features that are going to be, you know, particularly relevant to them, even though it might not fall in line with your long-term product vision. Um, and, you know, what you're able to do then is, you know, kind of, you know, compare your long-term product vision with the learnings that you gain from watching these early users engage with your product and also, you know, taking in user interviews and all the research you're doing, and then using all of that to inform, you know, your real long-term product vision. Because, you know, I, you know, as much as we follow this horizon framework that, you know, looks three plus years out, um, even that is still flexible and all of oh, that yeah. is going to be guided, you know, directly by the conversations we, we have every day with customers and, and sales conversations and uh, watching engagement with our platform. So I think it's all about, uh, you know, being flexible, understanding where your company is at and, uh, you know, kind of also, you know, staying on top of development and your engineers so that, you know, there's kind of an efficient process in place so that you can get, you know, the long-term product work done while still prioritizing, you know, those individual features that are sure to delight your customers. Right, right. So it's like being flexible, trying to balance between building flashy, highly marketable features and also just building features that you know you need to get done either to enhance the core area of product or just to prevent problems in the future. It's like, how do you balance that and make sure you're making progress across multiple different areas of your product because everything needs love and attention. Needs some TLC. <laughs> yes, it is. That, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> True words have never been spoken. And that's it. That's, and that's product strategy. That's, it's simple. Who said it was tough? Right? Yeah, that's it. Secret sauce right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that wraps it up for today. So your boy can go on his run. Yeah, everybody uh, pray for Cam. He's about to run uh, at like 3 p.m. Uh, you know, California time heat. So if he doesn't make it back by next week, we know that it was the heat exhaustion that did it to him. It's not too bad, it's 87. Oh wow, it's hotter in Boston. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh wow, tomorrow <laughs> from Wednesday to Friday, it's gonna be above 97. 103 on Friday. You can get your hot yoga in next week then, or the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. Just and with that, as my girl, Yoga with Adrian would say, namaste. <laughs> what a sign-off, right? <laughs> that, was, that was actually, that, I, that's why I was laughing. I was like, wait a second, that was, that was actually clean. Yeah.